turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Kind of another, uh, we're talking about another rainstorm. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to build an ark. Anyway, let's start thinking positively. Rest when you need to, but never quit. Rest and self-care are so important. When you take time to replenish your spirit, it always serves, it allows you to serve others from the overflow. You cannot serve from an empty vessel. All right, to, to think that, oh, well, here, rest when you're weary, refresh and renew yourself, your body, your mind, your spirit, then get back to work. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, this is a um, a, a situation where uh, some things happened this week that kind of made me, you know, step back a little bit. Uh, but in the meantime, we're just going to talk to you about, you know, what we saw. And um, in the meantime, if you... If you want to get any of the information, you know, I always talk about the dividend growth portfolio and uh, I am now sending, you know, the data center thing I'm talking to you, talking to people about. Uh, I'm sending that out now to some people since nobody's called in for it. I, I know it's I'm on the right thing. I'll never forget that software thing back in 2018 where we had that big software meeting and nobody, nobody called in for it. And the software stocks took off like bats out of you know where. So, uh, I'll just say that, uh, you know, look, if you go to WHK 1420's website and go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show, uh, you can go directly to my webpage and it has a contact me and email me and all that good stuff. And uh, I highly recommend that, uh, you know, the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, they have been underperforming this year. That's when you buy great companies, when they're underperforming. All right. Uh, I also think small cap, uh, I was. I was looking at some stuff over the weekend, and small caps may be the leaders coming out of this big thing because a lot of the big caps are, you know, they're highly valued. The, the charts are extended, etc. So, and then, but if you go if you go to my webpage, remember under the insight banner, uh, there is a whole bunch of new research out there. We we change that every other week or every week, I think it is, and then we under bulletin board. Uh, we have Rob Schleimer's work. It's called Trend and Cycle. And then there's also a, a weekly newsletter. So if you you didn't know what's going on with the market, if you'd like to get our newsletter, just say so, and uh, we'll set you up. And don't forget a wealth plan. We're going back to school, folks. Let's get organized. A wealth plan and a family inventory workbook would be a great thing for everybody, including your kids. So, um, you know, I, I was looking at some stuff and... Uh, <laughs> I found it. I found some things, some interesting stuff. Okay, uh, I saw three big things. You know, first, 
Historically, the U.S. equity market tends to have a weak start in the presidential election years before rallying back ahead of the event. Uh, and while the, tends, the, the trends tend to be choppy, again, in the months around the event itself, 2024 could be different given the unusual circumstances in the upcoming race. And, and, and history is still worth a quick look back. Uh, take it from there. Second, while NVIDIA's earnings were generally viewed as strong, it didn't change the fact that large cap growth trade has some tactical problems. Right? Number one, valuation for a few of them, positioning, and they need to be resolved. That's simple. Okay. So, third, the developments in our high-frequency indicators were mixed for equities this past week. Uh, we had some improvements in earnings. Uh, we had some revision, you know, in, in revision trends, I should say. And the individual investor sentiment uh, continued to deteriorate. That's positive, folks, okay? <laughs> As you know, when everybody hates the market, I love it, okay? So uh, the other thing is the equity flows were negative again, which really makes me uh, – Interested, okay? So, look, I, I remain concerned right at the moment that the breather in the U.S. equity market that's been underway hasn't fully played out yet, but also consider ourselves to be more neutral than bearish right at the moment on stocks. Now, we had the first debate for the 2024 presidential election. We took a quick uh, look back at the historical playbook for the S&P 500 in previous presidential election years. And been coming up more and more in our conversations with uh, my clients recently anyway, but a clear consensus narrative hasn't yet emerged. And, and we've published these charts to, in an effort to, to keep the conversation going and get more clarity on how investors are thinking about the event. But look, Lori uh, Calvacina, a couple of weeks ago in Macroscope, she, she put out a thing about the presidential election it tends to be positive ones for the U.S. equity market, but our weekly weaker on average than other years in the election cycle, just so you know, okay? So if we look at the daily trading in the S&P 500 throughout these presidential election years, uh, going back to 1932 anyway, uh, typically the stock market has a rough start and then stabilizes, rallies back into the event, turns choppies in the month immediately before and after the event, and then, you know, pretty much remains intact, okay? If a Republican wins, uh, then a Democrat. Well, well let's let's go back. Um, one difference that we do see in the stocks tend to be after, better after the election if a Republican wins than if a Democrat wins. Interestingly, stock market generally followed the historical path in each of the last two Democrat, uh, presidential elections when Trump won and Biden won. So. 2024 will be unique, I think, given um, the four cases underway. For former President Trump, uh, the current front runner for the Republican Party uh, in both polling and the betting, you know, Iowa has a betting poll and they're way, he's way ahead. Well, there's uncertainty about when these cases will actually go to trial. Uh, if, if I know the Democratic Party, it'll probably be right before the election. The current calendar suggests that their presence will loom large next year. That's my opinion anyway. And look, the current stats on the 2024 race is generally trending in Biden's favor. Biden leads over Trump in the general election, has firmed up in betting markets, and his disapproval rating and polling data has eased. All right. So 
Biden's lead for the Democratic nomination is also firmed up in the betting market. So I, I think it'll be Biden versus Trump. But, uh, you know, I, Trump's got some baggage uh, because of the, the lawsuits, obviously. Now, everybody talked about NVIDIA's widely anticipated earnings this week, and they were generally viewed as strong. It didn't change the fact that large cap growth has some tactical problems, okay? The growth valuations have only corrected modestly relative to value and, and remain well above their long-term averages. I mean, well above them. So if you look at the FTC data for the, the asset manager position in NASDAQ 100 futures, continue to set, suggest that large cap growth is over-owned, all right? So earnings revision continue to favor growth relative to value, but the gap has started to narrow, suggesting that gross dominance on the earnings front is starting to fade, folks, okay? So uh, so U.S. equity growth has also, uh, growth funds have also slipped from positive to negative. So uh, while value flows are negative but stabilizing, so the money is flowing out of growth into, into value, okay? So I just think, um, you know, look, the, some people are talking about the uh, the Russell 1000 growth and the small and large cap group, and uh, they're still holding the levels close to key pivotal points from the past, okay? So that that's a positive. But to be clear, we continue to think growth stocks look appealing from a longer-term perspective. Uh, GDP is expected to be below trend for the next two years due to the interest rates hike, and that's an environment that tends to see growth stocks do better. Uh, we, we, you know, Lori Calzavina is keeping her overweight in tech unchanged. But in the shorter term, the overvaluation, uh, the crowding problems in growth need to be resolved. Is that, you know, that's what I think we're saying. So, look, I, I saw some things that junk, jumped out at me uh, when I looked at the high frequency indicators this week. Number one, EPS revisions or earnings per share revisions for the S&P 500 have returned to positive territory in August. That's a, that's a positive. Individual Investor sentiment has gotten less bullish, another positive, and the GDP uh, forecasts are no longer uh, you know, baking in a negative GDP on a quarter-to-quarter basis in 2023. That's real positive. And U.S. equity flows continue to weaken. Now, that's kind of interesting. Now, I, we did have some thoughts on Jackson Hole. Our rate strategy team... Uh, didn't see the remarks that uh, Powell made Friday as ex- incrementally hawkish. Uh, overall, they saw Powell's comments as balanced and in line with, with a consensus Fed view that existed 24 hours ago, basically. All right. So uh, I don't think, I mean, just from my point of view, and, and I, you know, I'll, I'll just take out where Lori Calvacina said, I don't think that the, the outlook has changed for U.S. equities at all. But, uh, you know, the, the comment that the Fed is navigating by the stars under cloudy skies, we think is an honest acknowledgement that they don't know what they're doing yet. <laughs> so, uh, look, uh, I, I think equity investors have already been wrapping their heads around the idea that rates may be higher for longer and as possible for the Fed job may not be done yet. Okay, so... That's something to think about, and uh, you know, it it we'll leave it at that. Okay. Uh, now, um, last week uh, there was a gentleman who called in. I think it was the week before, maybe, 
And he asked about commercial real estate. And, you know, the, look, the commercial real estate sector is facing some headwinds due to the rise of remote work in the wake of the pandemic, as well as some elevated interest rates. Now, we look at this, at, we look at, at how challenging the economics of downtown office space could impact financial markets and the broader economy. And this year has seen a near constant stream of negative news from the U.S. commercial real estate sector. Uh, you know, multiple large properties are in default. Office occupancy levels have fallen. Rising interest rates have made refinancing a problem. Uh, conditions <laughs> appear pretty much unlikely to improve in the near term. I mean, banks, for example, are pulling back from the sector with nearly 90% of the senior loan officers expecting a deterioration of credit conditions in commercial real estate. So, um, that's a problem, and, and we think there are significant headwinds in the sector and, and see it at a real risk. And uh, a likelihood of further price declines in some commercial assets is out there, okay? At the same time, we think the broader risk to the economy and the financial market it overall is limited uh, due to some inherent, uh, inherited or inherent uh, characteristics of, uh, of the commercial real estate market. So. Look, it's important to recognize that there, that there is not just one type of commercial real estate, okay, but many. Each has their own supply and demand characteristics. There's industrial warehouse properties, uh, for instance, have, have seen very high demand and stable to rising lease rates. On a national basis, you know, according to global property firm JLL, office space, on the other hand, is experiencing a double-digit vacancy rate as remote work continues. So even within a single asset type, there are differences between regions and from building to building. Upscale retail locations are, broadly speaking, outperforming mid-grade malls. And higher growth in the southeast is, is you know, kind of cushioning those commercial real estate declines. It's just there's trouble at the office. And for now, the core of the problem is large office towers located in central business districts, okay? So the economics of these properties often require high occupancy rates to support the, the costs. Uh, and, I mean, look, I, I go down to my office downtown, and, and we have, I think, a floor and a half, and uh, I think there's seven, eight people there, all right? It, uh, you know, so I, uh, that's our downtown office. Now our Westlake office is full. Um, and the situation's un, unlikely to change soon. Uh, I think, you know, there's some adjustments that are likely and probably normal. And it's not unusual to see demand decline for particular assets. And, you know, markets have various adjustment mechanisms. The first is price. Okay, so the prices are coming down. Rents are falling alongside uh, current, you know, the occupancy in a lot of the urban central districts. And buildings remain viable as the office space, so long as the income produced at these uh, rental rates is sufficient to cover their operating costs. And that's the key. Uh, a lot of people... A lot of companies are not getting rid of the space because they, they see the future, okay? And I think in some cases, the rental income will be uh, sufficient under realistic assumptions regarding new demand levels and rental rates, okay? So markets adjust for this by reducing supply. They're not building a lot, is what they're saying in so many words. And, and that process is underway. So the total square footage of offer space in the U.S. recently fell for the first time since 2000. So the decline is partly due to redevelopment, 
Okay, so properties are becoming they're they're rental they're they're becoming retail and housing or hospitality in response to the factors. Okay, so this is pain management. That's all it is. So we you know look scale. There's there's three principles I think you got to look at. The first is scale. An entire U.S. real estate market is estimated to be worth about twenty trillion, but only an estimated three trillion of that is office space. Okay, so that's important. And then another key factor is that the investors' profile, uh, our portfolios generally have low direct exposure to that sector. And finally, we believe banking exposure to commercial real estate is quite manageable. So, look, we're not out of the woods, but I, I think uh, is it different this time? Who knows? But uh, I think you've got to take a, a step back and and just you know watch. You know, you don't have to be the first one in is what I'm trying to tell you. And, you know, will there be dividend cuts and stuff like that? A lot of people are talking about that already. And, uh, you know, real estate investment trust, they have to pay you 80% of their earnings. All right. The question is, what are their earnings? That's the big question mark going forward. So we'll see what happens. But look, uh, Global cities have, have faced terrorist attacks, natural disaster, war wars, and to date, they've always emerged stronger and more vibrant. So, look, there's a transition to a hybrid work model will prove probably be, a, you know, maybe a bridge too far for urbanization, but we doubt this is the beginning of the end for cities, all right? That's our, our opinion. So we'll just keep that in mind. Now, look... Uh, we had narrow leadership. We talked about that. It started to spread out, and then it gave it up. So uh, I think we, we published that back in a week uh, of my birthday. And, uh, you know, we talked about the narrow leadership. It was the Magnificent Seven, as we called it. They were leading the way. And and um, then we had some, some more leadership. But dividend stocks are not going up because interest rates are. So what happens when interest rates come down? I think there's going to be a rush to those type of stocks. So if you look, the S&P 500 is outpacing most of the other indexes. And, uh, I mean, it's up like 20%. And unless you were in those seven stocks, you probably underperformed a little bit. Now, I have some clients that own all of them, and, and they're doing quite well this year. Uh, but, you know, most of my accounts are up 17 18% for the year, uh, where, the, where the market concentration is up 20. Okay. So that, that's, look, that's the difference between a market capitalization and a one vote, one stock. And that's the S&P 500 equal weight portfolio. Okay. So look, the S&P 500 index has gained a much smaller 18.4% on a total basis. If you look at the QQQs, they're up big. All right. So that's where you had to be, or actually, if you had an ETF that just had the Magnificent Seven in it, you know, you you beat everybody else this year, but it's hard because uh, you need to be spread out. You don't want to be concentrated too much in in in, in one area. So the, the question is, um, you know, what about the traditional sixty forty portfolio? And I, I think uh, a lot of people out there are are starting to get back to that. You know, they're they're locking in short term rates at five percent, whatever. Uh, Investors would would have expected, I guess, this to eventually occur again. And we talked about this, you know, a couple of years ago when we said that 
the uh, 10-year Treasury yield broke down out of a 40-year decline. So uh, the S&P 500 has outperformed on a relative basis, but I think the the cushion the 60-40 portfolio provided in 2022 can't be overlooked. And uh, so it's just a, it's a scenario where I think you have to be paying attention because these big high-cap growth stocks are stuff that you have to be paying attention to right now because they're they're in a big you know they're up a lot let's just put it that way hey let's uh let's take a break and we're gonna we're gonna talk about turning trash gas into cash (laughs) on the next segment so stay tuned this is smart investor show Looking for a rugged, reliable truck without break in the bank? Well, look no further than our friends at Ganley Chevy in Aurora. They have inventory and deals that won't last long. And if you're concerned about interest rates, well, Chevy has a great offer for you on 2023 Silverado 1500 trucks. Interest rates at 1.9 for 36 months, 3.9 for 60 months, and 5.9 for 72 months. Buying a new car or truck should be a fun experience. And the dealership, well, it makes all the difference. And that's why we chose Ganley Chevy of Aurora for our truck purchase. We just love our Silverado. And everyone over at Ganley Chevy of Aurora, they're great. I love that they're part of the community. It's not just about selling cars. They really do consider you their friends and neighbors. Ganley Chevrolet in Aurora, 310 West Garfield in Aurora or online, GanleyChevyAurora.com. Find new roads. My first ride along was with Jamal, even before I was hired. They wanted me to see everything from the ground level before moving forward. And it was awesome. The first time I came in, I got to sit in on a meeting and never realized that plumbers have that level of organization and sophistication to their operations. And I say that as a former degree project manager, as well as an Air Force vet. After getting out of the service, my wife and I moved to Cleveland and I just wasn't happy with the corporate style desk jobs. So I prayed for a sign. That next morning, my best friend called me about this radio ad on The Fish for a company he thought would be perfect for me. And he was right. Why it works was a godsend. You have to want to help people. But if you do, this job is fulfilling in ways that the right person won't find anywhere else. If you want that for your life, call us direct and consider it done at whyitworks.com. License number 30185. Wallach doodle. Listen to this station anytime, anywhere on Odyssey. Odyssey is your new audio home for all the music, news, sports, and podcasts that matter to you. Odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. At RBC Wealth Management, we are proud of our reputation for putting clients' interests first. Our steadfast commitment to helping clients achieve their financial goals includes giving back to the communities we serve. Through supporting youth education, human services, and the arts, we hope to make tomorrow better for everyone. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. All right, we're back, folks. Just tuned in. This is Smart Investor Show. And, uh... I think it was Steve Miller put out a song called The Cash Ain't Nothing But Trash. (laughs) 
Well, let's talk about your trash turning into cash. You know, we had uh, uh, several times during the last couple of years, I've talked about the RBC Imagine series. And this is a group of stocks that we said, you know, buy, put them away. And the first one was a home run. Uh, and it was like 25 stocks. And I think two of them are down <laughs> in that period of time. The rest of them are up big. So, um, you know, look, we talked about landfill renewable natural gas primer, okay? And this is turning trash gas into cash, and it never smelled so good. <laughs> so, you know, our Imagine is a series of fundamental uh, research reports that we uh, focus on disruptive forces that we believe will transform the world over the next five to ten years. And, you know, look, if you don't like environmental, social, and governance stuff that much, I, I think it's still going to go, we're going to go forward with it. So uh, this, we have a new report. It's not a new report. You know, I, I usually leave those for, uh, the, for my clients. But uh, what they did was they explored the landfill gas opportunity. Uh, okay. So this is renewable natural gas from these landfills. And uh, in North America, waste industry is waste, um, majors accelerate the development of this new source, it could get really interesting. So we are starting to look at a world where landfills become increasingly important sources of this renewable energy to our companies. Uh, that is, I'm assuming we're allowed to use natural gas. Um, and, you know, so if we can figure out how to capture and make this con uh, conversion, building upon the themes that we, you know, we've talked about in the past, it could get really, really profitable. So what we're doing is we're, we're preparing for what we call hyperdrive. Um, our global research team has been working on this. So renewable natural gas from land, landfills presents a very unique opportunity for waste sectors. Now, people don't like to talk about waste sectors, but I do. <laughs> you may, I mean, if you've seen waste management chart, you, you know what we're talking about. Uh, but renewable natural gas is a big, uh, I mean, especially for the big guys out there, if you capitalize on existing resources to drive the growing renewable energy revenue stream, if it's supported by investment tax credits, with the added benefit of significantly reducing emissions, you could have a home run here, okay? So while the current, uh, RN, we'll call it re renewable natural gas, RNG, it's producing attractive uh, returns to the CAPEX group now for the majors. You know, look, they've got incentives now and the demand projections are huge. So the question remains whether the market will assign a solid waste multiple for a commodity-driven revenue stream and the associated volatility, of course, with it. But look, there's been some recent changes to the U.S. Uh, program, and so they're expecting to bring some uh, we'll call it uh, uh, stability to the, to these, uh, and we'll see what happens. Overall, it's highly regulate, regulatory, and the, and it's political barriers that are limiting this new landfill development in the U.S. and Canada. So we'll see what's happened. But it's it's a growing opportunity for most of the the major waste guys. Okay, so I think you got to start to think about it. I, you know, I think it is too too. Distinct advantages. Number one, it provides the majors with a scalable revenue source to enhance uh, the shareholder value from an existing base that they have. 
called asset base. All right, to reduce the emission of of uh, you know stuff that we don't want in the air, and aids in achieving a sustain so, uh, you know sustainability goals. So the ESG thing is is becomes uh, very important. So the revenue tailwinds and the price stability from the EPA decision that we had in late June uh, could be very positive for all these uh, companies and uh, people that are providing that. I mean, just imagine your waste company you know, competing with the local gas company, you know? So demand forecasts for this group are pretty robust. So we'll see what happens going forward. Uh, and if you'd like a copy of this report, you, you know, we can talk about it. And I, what it means to the waste stocks, I think is important, especially the solid waste stocks. And the other thing I talked, I've talked about for time and time again is, you know, we had some broad themes in the AI area. Now they've beaten the AI stocks up and we kind of suggested that they were overbought a while back. But remember, these things have strong financial performance. They have cloud dominance in most cases. They're, they have big investments in AI. There's a GPU shortage uh, and, and you know the graphic processes are what is needed here. Data center expansion, we talked about that. CapEx X growth is, is big. And I think there's going to be a lot of strategic partnerships. And I've got a whole bunch of names, and um, I'll just leave it at that. But we do have a new uh, RBC Generative AI update. So if you'd like that, let us know. All right. So people have been asking me a lot of questions. And I, I think I've been getting a lot of phone calls this week. And, and I think that, the, the, you know, like a, I'll just go into the technical side a little bit. The relative performance ratio of growth versus value remains in a corrective pattern, okay? So we expect that to continue through the third quarter with an oversold trading load likely developing, you know, somewhere late, you know, October. You know, October is not a bad month. It's a bottomy month. September is a tough month, and we're coming right into it uh, shortly here. So. Look, I, I've been talking, and, and Rob Schleimer, our head uh, technician, has been talking about the long-term profile for the high beta cyclicals versus the, the low volatility safety. And it remains poly, you know, a positive, but similar to growth versus value, we expect that to churn and consolidate through most of the next, you know, for this quarter. And, uh, you know, look, you can have oversold trading rallies that are likely to, you know, beginning for many of the cyclicals, but... We're not expecting a huge surge to new highs or anything like that, okay? So uh, keep that in the back of your head. And I, I also think that, uh, well, you know, I've been looking at, uh, you know, energy and, and growth and technology and all that good stuff, and we'll see what happens. Now, look, one of the things we're seeing is this, if you look at the monthly, okay, this is important, the monthly momentum turned positive. Now, it's kind of overbought here. It's not as overbought as it was in 2021, but it, it tracks two- to four-year swings, and it continues to build to the upside after bottoming last October. And remember, we, you know, we said last September, I think it was the second week in September, we said, hey, you know, I think we're getting near a bottom, or maybe the third week in September. And so overall, the technical picture is tracking a market cycle recovery after bottoming at the rising four-year moving average, which is, that's good. That means we haven't broken down. And, and the only time we've broken that uh, has been uh, in the 2009 fiasco and then also the 2020 fiasco. 
uh, and we were only there for a very short period of time. So pullbacks are likely to be, you know, we think will be relatively shallow during this third quarter, uh, but it, it will help us get this overbought status uh, away. And uh, the other thing is we got to talk about seasonality now, okay? And, you know, if you look since 1928, September still stands as the worst month with February and May right behind it. But if you look since 2000, September is still the worst month, but January and February and May have been, or June, I'm sorry, have been the worst months. So, you know, you got to modernize some of these uh, things occasionally. So September just stands out as a bad month. I, I know it's because everybody's on vacation. In, in August, they're all on the island or whatever it may be. They're Martha's Vineyard, and they're coming back, uh, and they feel like, oh, my gosh, I missed something. I got to dump stocks. Uh, but, you know, August, uh, if we go back to 2010, August and September are the two worst months, uh, and, and May is right behind them. But just remember, October tends to be the bottom month, and, uh, you know, that's something you got to remember. So we're in that week. Uh, you know, in August, where usually somewhere around here we have a rally. So it'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, um, one of our, some of the research we've done from another source said basically that when we go into the uh, Jackson Hole thing and we're negative, usually have a pretty big rally. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the quadrant balance indicator, uh, a momentum oscillator, we should say, Rob, one of the things Rob Schleimer uses. Has, was very overbought and, and is now below the, the 50% line. So uh, if it were to pull back a little bit further, it'd be a, probably a good buying opportunity. Um, and, you know, the daily momentum is now kind of oversold with the S&P 500 near uh, some pretty important support in the 4325 area. 4300 would be very important. And it has, you know, the, the, the positive is, is the daily moving averages, like the 100-day moving average, is is rising. That's a good thing. Okay, so the first resistance begins at the 15 and 25 day moving or the 50 day moving average. That's about 44.58. So we'll just keep that go keep that in the back of your mind. And look, the weekly momentum, you know, so momentum is is in time frames is still over overbought. Okay, so you know it, what we got to do is digest that overbought situation. Going into the third quarter, and I think, I think you know, uh, as well, Rob Schleimer said it. I, a bounce is likely short term from the near uh, on the Nasdaq to thirteen fifty, a thirteen one fifty mark. Um, but the Nasdaq on a weekly basis is definitely the momentum is overbought. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Now, one of the things that some people are talking about now is the Russell two thousand, and it remains kind of range bound in between seventeen hundred and and two thousand. Um, but it is, you know, the, the momentum is just at zero, so it's not overbought, it's not oversold. But some people are talking about that maybe the small caps are going to lead us out of this uh, because large caps are pretty over overbought, all right? So we'll see what happens. But uh, the daily momentum in the, in the Russell remains deeply oversold. <laughs> so... They were doing great. They had a big move up in, in July, and they gave it all back. So uh, you're not getting much going forward. Now, the other thing I'll mention is that the short-term positioning, as measured by the put-to-call ratio, has risen to levels that should support an oversold trading 
range, okay, or a bounce. Remember, when the, the put-to-call ratio gets, that's the number of puts bought, the number of calls. It gets to one. When it goes one for one, usually you're going to have a rally, okay? And it, it, if you include the uh, ETFs involved, it's at 1.33. So, uh, you know, that's, that's usually a pretty good sign that you're, you're getting close to uh, a bottom. And then finally, like I said, in the AAI poll, the sentiment readings are beginning to retreat from moderately high bullish, not terribly, you know, overly bullish, and low bearish readings. So they popped up. You know, we, we got the 30 on the bearish polls. We were down to 2020 for a while there. And we were at 40 uh, or 51, I think, on the, uh, the bullish side. We're down to uh, 35, 60. So uh, those are all positive things. Okay. Now you may sit and watch the, the market on a daily basis and say, "No, I don't. I don't like what's going on." But that, uh, on a relative basis, that's very, very positive. Okay. So keep that in mind and uh, just remember. You know, we talk about these four-year cycles. This is a, a, a tough four-year cycle because the Fed's, you know, basically stomping on the market. Okay. And look, uh, one of the things that happens we've had overspending by our government. But we're not going to have a recession. Uh, the spending started this summer, all right? So they, they gave $6 trillion worth of spending, some of it's for infrastructure, whatever. But with that kind of spending by the government, you're not going to have a recession. But it is going to make sure that the Federal Reserve keeps interest rates higher for longer, I think. And then, you know, we, we didn't even talk about the $1.75 trillion omnibus bill that they passed in December. So there's a lot of government spending going on. So the government, you know, in a in a free market society, the government shouldn't be spending that much. We should be making decisions, but I guess the government's going to for us for the time being. But the long-term secular trend for the U.S. equity markets, I think, remains positive. You know, you get that 16 to 18-year cycle supportive of further upside into the mid-2030s, probably, and, you know, based on... Past experience, we could see 1,400 on the S&P 500. Who knows? But look, uh, the, the technical back, backdrop continues to support the case that another four-year cycle has established a low back in the fourth quarter of last year. And I, I thought it was the third quarter. Rob Simon said it's the fourth. I'll go with him. After bottoming, the monthly cyclical indicators tracking the two to four month moves continue to build to the upside. So that's a big important thing. Okay. I think the longer term technical profiles for the international mar uh, equity markets has improved over the past six to nine months. We just don't see the relative performance versus the S&P 500 yet. So there, you know, look, usually when you have a, a bad market, there's a leadership change. And that could go to small caps. It could go to internationals. It could go to industrials. And that's what we're not seeing yet, okay? So uh, we, we see improvement developing the overall trend for most markets, transitioning from the bear market declines of 2021-2022 uh, to a bottoming trend. So that's something to look at. So uh, we... We think that, you know, this four to, you know, we, we look at the four and 13-month moving averages. And when the the four-month crosses to the downside, that's when the momentum is negative. And then when it crosses to the upside, that's positive. That happened just a while back. So that that's a positive, And we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. But uh, 
let's let's take a break right at the moment. Uh, this is the Smart Investor Show. Tim Hayes, stay tuned. We'll be right back. School time is here, and that means it's time to get back to Discount Drug Mart, your one-stop shop for back-to-school needs. Notebooks, folders, binders, pens and pencils, crayons, poster board, colored paper, scissors, calculators, and so much more. You've got it at Discount Drug Mart. And don't forget, the Cleveland National Air Show, presented by Discount Drug Mart, is coming back. Labor Day weekend, the amazing U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds, and more. Tickets and on-site parking are available only in advance and only online. Get your tickets now at clevelandairshow.com. That's clevelandairshow.com. My first ride-along was with Jamal, even before I was hired. They wanted me to see everything from the ground level before moving forward, and it was awesome. The first time I came in, I got to sit in on a meeting and never realized that plumbers have that level of organization and sophistication to their operations. And I say that as a former degreed project manager, as well as an Air Force vet. After getting out of the service, my wife and I moved to Cleveland, and I just wasn't happy with the corporate-style desk jobs. So I prayed for a sign. That next morning, my best friend called me about this radio ad on The Fish for a company he thought would be perfect for me. And he was right. Why it works was a godsend. You have to want to help people. But if you do, this job is fulfilling in ways that the right person won't find anywhere else. If you want that for your life, call us direct and consider it done at whyitworks.com. License number 30185. Wallach doodle. Brandon Tatum sees work ahead for Trump. MAGA people are going to vote for Trump no matter what. But for the for other people that's on the fence, in the middle, vacillating, in the general, is when you're going to see a, 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 a huge effect. If Donald Trump is able to prove his innocence early on, or it, it appears that he's going to be innocent early on, I think that's going to be a tremendous boost for him. The Officer Tatum Show, weeknights at 7 on AM 1420, The Answer. Or on iHeart, TuneIn, and Odyssey. Wouldn't it be nice to keep income rolling in even long after you retire? At RBC Wealth Management, we can help you invest for the future that you want and create a personalized plan to help you create the steadfast flow of income you'll need throughout your retirement. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. Okay, we're back. <laughs> you just tuned in this Smart Investor Show on Tim Hayes. And uh, look, I, I mean, let's just look at things just you know, as, as we see them. Okay. And I, I think the equity pullback, uh, is becoming oversold, but you know, I expect further volatility into September. And I think the recent rise in interest rates remains one of the most important market issues affecting the direction of equities. You know, we're up there where if we don't, uh, I mean, it could be what they call a, uh, you know, an overcut, whatever, but the impact of rates is particularly noteworthy now as the 10 year Treasury yield challenges the upper band of the chain range at four, I think it's 424, 433, something like that. And, and that has been placed since the highs of October 2022. So if we go higher from here, it could be a problem. Uh, 
if I look at the weekly chart, um, you know, it could be a cup and handle formation, you know, uh, but look, the impact of the rates is particularly noteworthy. And it, I can't say that enough. All right. So, <laughs> uh, you know, if you look and, and I looked at, you know, I looked at Rob Schleimer's charts and by the way, you can get this. If you go to WHK1420, this will be on my webpage today. Uh, you can see the chart. You just go down to, uh, you know, trend and cycle under bulletin board on the first page, and, and uh, this will be there. But there's a red band, and if we go through there, uh, we could, you know, rates would be at a new high, and that'd be a cup and handle formation, and it'd be negative, right? So, you know, our expectations right now is for rates to stall near these current levels. Uh, but a breakout above 433 on the close now would lead to further upside, we think. Okay, so the next technical level is at 5%. And we haven't seen 5% in a long, long time. So a move below 4.09 would be needed to signal that rates are beginning to reverse to the downside. So we've, we've, we're hoping for you know the move down, but um, I don't know. You know, government spending is really kicking in now. So uh, if you've wondered why we've gone from things slowing down to whatever, I believe most of the government spending started on July first. Uh, that's Tim. You know, that's what I've read. You know, you can check me up on that one. I'm not absolutely sure, but if the recent you know release of the FMOC meeting leaving rates unchanged. You know, that's why we're challenging that key band. And equities remain oversold short term, but we would expect a lot further choppy equity performance into the seasonality week period in September. And if we break through that, you know, the, the weekly momentum, the RSI, which is momentum, uh, we're getting close to the 70 range. Uh, I think we're at 70 or very close to 70 uh, for the 10 year yield. Um, you know, that could be a big problem if, if it goes up to 80 or something like that and we pop above that because then the resistance becomes a support, okay? So that 433 would become support and then, then we have some problems. Like, all right, so, but look, our outlook remains unchanged. We're expecting the equity markets to remain in this choppy trading range into September. Uh, given the weekly momentum indicators, uh, you know, are a little bit overbought. Uh, you know, it's, we talk weekly, then daily, and I know it gets confusing, but, uh, you know, weekly and monthly, uh, you know, look for the whole month of, uh, for the whole year of 2021, we talked about the bullish percent being over, overbought, but the, you could just look at the four month over the 13 month. It was the most overbought I've ever seen it. Okay. So, um, you know, we're, we're in that situation again. So the weekly momentum is overbought and i think we have to you know go you know up and down a little bit so you know make a a, a base before we go higher um now i would say this that the daily momentum is in a situation where i think we're gonna have a short-term bounce and i i think it could go up to the 50-day moving average uh that would be 4418 to 4458 somewhere around there and and you know so We'll see what happens, but uh, you know, 
we are fairly overbought. Now, one of the things that we saw was uh, that if we were looking at West, West Texas uh, crude uh, to be in a broad bottoming pattern following its uh, correction in the second quarter of 2023 into the mid-60s. And, and after a strong rebound, uh, rebound just recently, it, it hit resistance in the 83-84 area. So we expect a short-term uh, pullback, but you know, I, I think the area that remains a relatively safe haven is healthcare. The problem is healthcare. Well, look, it's broken. It's broken out against the S and P five hundred on a da- you know the downtrend has been broken on a relative performance basis, and you got to look at that because you always got to see what's doing the best. The problem is, is it still goes sideways. We haven't broken out. So healthcare has lagged the broader market, but it's improving, and and that may be, you know, a a, a place that uh, you can go to in, in the future. So we'll see we'll see what's happening. Now, uh, some people asked me uh, the other day, uh, you know, what sectors do you like? So I look back, and uh, you know, we put out a report a couple months ago, and uh, you know. We were looking across the, the, the continents, all right, and re- the, the weakest tone came from our Australian people, and then also our the most negative tone came from our real estate investment trust people uh, and consumer staples, by the way. They, they felt they were overvalued. And so it, it, it's kind of hard, but uh, I think the macro impacts and industry-specific issues tied first <laughs> and, and when we were looking at a bottom-up view so look the the macro has been a key driver in stock market performance for the last year and a half and it's not been the only driver but slower consumer demand margin pressures and a slower china recovery were also noted so the, the macro impact uh discussion you know higher inflation higher interest rates general macro concerns were the top issues that we saw so if we took a closer look at the U.S. across all the sectors, uh, most of them were neutral, okay? Um, and, and that's a problem. I think the longer-term impact of AI and the impact of the re- recent banking crisis on co- you know company funding, liquidity, that type of thing, so they, they tilted to be a bit more conservative out there. And, and if you look forward, in performance outlooks, the most important question that we saw was uh, that it was most constructive for energy, financials, and healthcare, and least constructive for consumer staples, consumer discretionary, and utilities. So, you know, we looked, we asked questions of our institutional clients, and on average, most they were most constructive for the communication services group. Remember, that's way down on our scale, and utilities and least constructive for consumer staples. So uh, our con- we were for most sectors on our AI and company liquidity questions, only a, a, a few sectors stood out with negative tilt. Um, so on the recession pressure question, I guess, is what we're looking at for. But, you know, on the quantitative side, the U.S. data saw strong inflows into consumer, telecom, and tech in the second quarter. And outflows from energy and uh, materials, and and uh, we had revenue 
revisions for industrials, tech, and utilities. And we had negative revisions for energy and materials again. So we had expensive valuations for industrials, consumers, utilities, techs, and uh, were attractive for the communications uh, area. So uh, the communications service area has been wreaked, been racked and beat up. So look, I, I think here's what I um, I would suggest. The dividend stocks, if you're retired out there, okay, a lot of retired people listening to my show. If you're retired out there, the prime income list and the dividend gross list are a good place right now because the stocks are down, okay, or they're not performing well. When's the best time to buy stocks? You buy high-quality stocks when they're down. Yields are up. Their, their dividends aren't keeping pace. They're only going up 6% a year to 8%. That's the dividend growth portfolio. The prime income list is for current income. Those are a good place to look for dividends right now. Okay, there's a good place. Now, we go, I just got a question across the internet. You know, are there any real estate investment trusts? Uh, there's a few, but I think they're more in the industrial area. But in the meantime, still, you're looking for income. You just got to make sure the dividend's secure, and we're, that's what we try to do with, on our list. I would highly suggest those. The other area, Lori Calvacina keeps talking about, is our small cap list. Our small cap list is, is a great idea generator because small caps got killed during the banking crisis because there's a lot of banks in the Russell 2000. It's like 27% of the, the stocks in the Russell 2000 are banks. So when they sell those, they sell the ETF, they sell everything. Okay, So some of the small caps got beat up accordingly. They bounced. Now they're back to support. It'll be interesting to see who leads. I think that's the general problem is that technology has been the only leadership group. Now the industrials pulled back. We thought energy might pull up. We still think that may be the case. And, you know, like we said earlier, those, those are the areas that we, we see the, uh, the, the best valuation levels. Okay. So energy, financials, and healthcare. Simple as that. So there we go. In the meantime, Go to WHK1420's webpage. Go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show. Take a look at the Insight banner. Hit it. There's a lot of good information there. There's a couple new reports there this week that I think are dynamite. Uh, also, you know, let's sit down and do a wealth plan. It's, it, it doesn't take that long. And also the family inventory workbook. It's, we're going back to school, folks. It's time to get organized. <laughs> And look, I, I've had two wealth plans in the last two weeks where the people, you know, they got to make some changes, okay? I've had two other wealth plans this, this week. And by the way, only one of these people were a client. These are all people thinking about being clients, but they, we looked at a wealth plan. So they got to make some changes. The other two are looking great. And the one is now able to give his kids what he really, he, he was hoping to give them. So these wealth plans, all we do is we assign probabilities. We can, and unfortunately, unless you're a client, we can't go to playground and, and play around with it a little bit. But if you become a client, we can do that. So it's all there. Just hit contact me, email me. It, it, there's a whole bunch of them on the on my webpage. So take it from there. Uh, in the meantime, uh, there's a football game on this afternoon, so I'm going to let Lenny go eat early. Uh, Lenny's a great technician, by the way. He's been doing great work since I've started with him. This is a smart investor show. I'm Tim Hayes. Stay dry. Remember to buy low.
Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.